0: joy to be at Southwest Campus this morning. Thank you. It's fun to be with you live. I want to say good morning to Bee Cave Campus and Dripping as well. Many of you may or may not know I have a daughter that's graduating and going to college this fall, and she has elected to go to the University of Texas. So I've been learning all this Southwest sign stuff, and people have been asking me, are you going to start wearing burnt orange? Well, let me pray about it. No. So I want you to know I have my Clemson socks on right here. Just, uh, just to let you know. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Corinthians. We're going to be uh, into chapter 2 and some of chapter 3. So I'm going to start in 1 Corinthians 2, 14. Last week we had what I felt like was an historical vote at Austin Ridge as far as building out the Austin Ridge B Cave campus. And we've asked many of you as partners, all of you as partners, to vote. And I want you to know we received a 98% affirmation from the body. Um, I just want to say thank you for that. And, you know, all of that money that we're trying to raise, all of it's going to Kingdom. Uh, this is all about reaching more people. Um, last week at BK, we had two parking spaces left at the second hour, which means we had no parking. We, we were having to turn kids away at the nursery Uh, last week at BK because we had no more room for any more kids. So uh, these are great problems to have. I love being a part of the church. We're trying to figure out how to get more people inside. So I just want to say thank you. And there's a lot of work that we'll be doing moving forward. So we're going to start in 1 Corinthians 2. I'm going to start in verse 14. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. First thing I want you to understand is don't be upset with your non-Christian friends and family members when you talk about the about the Lord, when you talk about Jesus, you talk about the gospel, you talk about your church, you talk about your pastor with cool socks, you talk about all these spiritual things happening in your life and they don't understand. Don't get upset when you talk about the things that are the most dear to your heart and they could care less. Because what he's saying here is that the natural man, that is the non-Christian, that is the the person who does not follow Jesus, who thinks the gospel is irrelevant, does not think about the authority of scripture or even the Bible whatsoever, don't be concerned or don't, I should say, don't think it weird when they don't pay attention, when they even think you're nuts. As you follow Christ, people are going to think you're nuts. People are going to think you're crazy because you read a book that's, 2000 years old and even older in the old testament and in our bible What paul is saying is they can't even understand it That there is wisdom coming forward. We looked at last week. There's there's hidden mysteries of god from the crypt And and it's not going to make sense And so what paul is saying here is they have a hardened heart They have blind eyes. They have deaf ears It's not that they can't understand what the words mean. It's it's that they're obstinate to it Now, the natural man does not mean an immoral person necessarily. The natural man often are people who give to charities. It's people who are nice. It's people that are good neighbors. It's people that will help you. But as far as following Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, there's never been a time in their life where they have submitted their will to his will. So they may do good things. Really what they're doing is they're living above their own uh, cultural philosophy of life. And so, that we're a new creature in Christ, but the natural man doesn't understand it. The, the natural man, when they don't understand what you're saying or don't care, they're just being biblical. Ephesians 2 1 says they're dead and they're trespasses. Dead in the Greek means what? Dead. Dead people can't make any decisions. Dead people can't get baptized. Dead people can't go to church. Dead people can't love Jesus in a way that spirit filled people love Jesus. Dead people aren't going to have the same desires that you and I have. Dead people are going to look at the culture differently. Dead people are going to think about politics differently. Dead people are going to think about their money differently. Dead people are dead. The natural man, it's it's what man can do at his best in his own human reasoning and speculation apart from God. It's what you get in life without God. It doesn't mean he doesn't understand it. It's it's that he's obstinate. Uh, he, he, He doesn't like to be told that he's a sinner. No one likes to be told they're a sinner, but the natural man, it offends him. How dare you say that I'm a sinner? Because compared to the people around me, I'm kind of the best of the bunch. I'm a pretty good guy. I'm a Texan. How dare you say that I'm a sinner? They don't like the fact that that there is a sovereign God who demands to be Lord of their lives. They don't like the thought of his notion of purity, and love for others, serving someone else, putting their needs above your own. There's no thought of that. It's, it's ridiculous. It's folly. It's silly. They don't like the notion of hell. If you understand as a believer that cedar is evil, cedar is the, the, the official tree of hell. I want you to know that. <laughs> I read that in first opinions. And so it's going to be there. But they don't like the notion of hell. They like the thought of, you know what, I'm going to die, and I don't know, Annihilation? Or oblivion? I don't know. But all I do know, and this is what's logical, if I'm a natural man, make as much money as you can, no matter who it hurts, and do whatever the heck you want to do because you only get one turn at this, so ride it out as well as you can. That makes sense to me. What's true about the natural man is this is as good as it's ever going to get. The natural man gets a call from the doctor and there's no thought of, well, maybe God will use this for his glory. Maybe God will redeem this. I know God has a purpose. I know God has a plan. For the natural man, you get a call about cancer from the doctor. The only thought is that karma just dealt me a bad hand, and and oh well, here we go. There's no hope past that. Look what it says again. The natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God for their folly, their silly, their foolishness to him. He's not able to understand them because they're spiritually discerned. So Instead of getting upset with your non-Christian friends, how about have compassion and love and patience? Because someone had patience with you when you were hard to deal with. And, and, and what we've learned already in Corinthians, it doesn't matter if you have a G.D. or a PhD. It's not these, the intellectually astute that come to Christ. It's those where the Spirit of God has changed them. He, he, he interrupted, he disrupted our, our way of living. He gave us a new will, new desires, and a new mind that's now of spiritual things. The Bible says you and I had a heart of stone, and He's given us a heart of flesh. Some of you have come to Christ in the last few years, and you're like, I can't believe the way I used to think, the way I used to act, the things I used to do. That's just not me anymore because you're a new creation in Christ. But for the natural man, they're just being biblical. I've seen Christians be a lot more impatient with non-Christians than patient with Christians in the sins of Christians. We need to be really patient with non-Christians. We need to be really loving because they're just being biblical. Look at verse 15. The spiritual person, now this is another person, the spiritual person judges all things but is himself to be judged by no one. So he's been saying things all through the spiritual things of God. The natural man doesn't understand the things of God, but the spiritual person understands, discerns the things of God. You can be a brain surgeon and not understand the gospel, and you can be an elementary or preschool teacher and be a totally mature, spiritually illuminated, divinely revealed person. And you can read the deep truths of God. And it's interesting what he says here. He says... The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. Now, that verse has been ripped out of context a lot among Christians. Maybe it goes like this. Who am I to judge anybody? Or no one can judge me except God. That's not what Paul is saying here. What Paul is saying here in the context of the natural man That you don't stand before the world and the culture and when you talk about God and the cross and the empty tomb and you talk about a substitutionary atonement for your sin and a daily desperate dependence that you live in and the culture starts to judge you in that, they don't even understand who God is. They can't judge you on any of these things, these spiritual things. It doesn't mean that Christians can't hold Christians accountable. It doesn't mean Christians can't rebuke another brother or sister in Christ that's going down a path away from God that's leading to destruction. Matter of fact, we call that love. It doesn't mean that the pastor or a friend can't speak in your life because Paul is going to judge these Corinthians for chapters to come. But it means that we do not stand in front of the natural man and let the natural man sway us from our convictions because it does not make sense to them. Their minds are dead, their heart is dead, and they don't understand it. And so pastors like Paul can speak into our lives. Spiritual authorities can speak in our lives. You just need to find a person who loves Jesus to speak into your life. You don't want to take advice from someone. It's interesting, someone comes up and says, hey, I think you ought to run the church this way, and tell me about your life. Well, I've been married four times, and I'm not going to listen to that person. You just go figure out your life. But you come across a person who is a man or a woman of the, of the of the word and a passion for the Lord. You better believe I'm going to say, tell me about marriage. Tell me about raising kids. I got, I got some of those teenagers at home now. Tell me how I'm supposed to do that without losing my mind. Tell me about how you guys tithe. Tell me, because we can be judged by those who walk with God. And so it's interesting. He says there's a spiritual man, there's a natural man. Look at verse 16, talking about this spiritual man for who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him. People that don't understand who God is can't instruct us of anything. I said last week, why would you take advice from someone who's going to die? Like if someone's going to die, they don't have this thing figured out. But if you find someone who has defeated death, we'll listen to him. Verse 16, again he says, but we have the mind of Christ. The question as to whether or not you're a spiritual person is huge in this text. Are you a spiritual person? We talked about Corinth and Austin are the same. Austin is 85% unchurched, highly spiritual city, not a very Christian city. How do you know if you're truly a spiritual person? Remember we talked about some people think it's yoga, some people think it's bottled water, some people think they're spiritual because they recycle or they drive a uh, four-door sedan or whatever it is. How do you know if you're a spiritual person? What does it mean to be spiritual? Well, I wrote a few things down for you here. Do you receive spiritual wisdom that contradicts the majority of views and opinions in this world? Meaning this, that the world's going that way, and you and I are going that way, and when you go cross-stream with the culture, there's going to be some turbulence. There's going to be some conflict. Do you feel that in your life? A truly spiritual person, when I'm saying what I just said, is going, yep. I am different. When we go on work trips, the places those guys go, the things those girls talk about, the things they do, it's totally different than what I talk about and what I do. And it rubs. Have you ever been around non-Christians and you don't want to participate and they can't stand you for it and you haven't said a word? it starts to rub because you stand there as a testimony and I'll use a phrase given to Noah in the Bible as he built that boat for 100 years he stood as a testimony of condemnation to that generation you don't even have to say anything you just you're there and you love your spouse and you're an oddball maybe you're the only one that's not willing to cheat on your mate and you're an oddball and it starts to rub And what Paul is saying here is, we don't get our P's and Q's from the natural man. We don't let the natural man judge us. We don't stand condemned. The natural man doesn't even know what they're talking about. We have the mind of Christ, and they can't even understand it. And it's the most beautiful thing to know that you don't have to be brilliant to be spiritually mature. You just have to submit, obey the Lord, love Jesus. So, the question I asked this morning is, are you a Christian? That seems like a silly question to ask in church, doesn't it? Well, of course I'm a Christian. I'm at church. Being at church doesn't make you a Christian. Are you a Christian? Are you a Jesus follower, a Jesus-loving, out-of-the-closet, old-school Jesus freak? That you love Christ. And here's how you can tell. Do people around you know you're a Christian? Can they tell you're a Christian just by being around you? That you talk differently and act differently, and you judge things differently. Are you a spiritual man? Are you a natural man? A natural person? Some of you have been told that Christianity is just really there for people in great need. Like, okay, I get someone goes to rehab, they hit rock bottom, they become a Christian. That makes sense. Or someone loses a spouse or a spouse leaves them. That makes sense. What if Christianity... Is also, he is for those things. But what if he wants you to desperately cling to him when life is great so that you can avoid some of those painful things in your life to come? Maybe you can actually make good decisions in your relationships. What if, what if obedience to Christ is the most fun you could ever have on this planet? Jesus is there for those at rock bottom, but he's also there those for everything's going great. The hardest person to get to admit they need Christ are those that everything's going great. And then you throw wealth on top of it, doubly hard. And by the way, if you're sitting here, you're wealthy. I know you don't think that, but you are. You got to pick what shoes to wear today, you're good. What shirt to wear, you're good. You don't worry about, am I going to eat today, you're wealthy. And you throw that together and there's no need. So what Paul is saying here is two types of people those who love Jesus by the powerful enablement of the spirit of God and those who 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 don't care about the things of the lord that their clear agenda is they want to do what they want to do we have a clear agenda here for Austin Ridge. we don't we don't mince words here our agenda is it's you Jesus forever that's our agenda we want you to be a Jesus follower. We want you to be a Jesus lover. We believe that your life will be infinitely better and the people around you who you care about will have much more joy in life if you are a Jesus following person. And so Paul says there's the natural man, there's the spiritual man. And he's going to talk about those two different types of people. But he's going to talk about a third category here and this is where people get confused. And it's in chapter 3 verse 1. Look at it with me. Paul says, but I, and what does he say? What's the next word? Brothers, okay? That, that's going to be important in a minute. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. Now, this verse is where the theological debates and the confusion and the questions start. He's talking to brothers. He's addressing church-going people in Corinth. As to you brothers, these are the same people that he said in chapter 1 were called by God, were sanctified, set apart, and they're going to, he's going to say later, you've been given spiritual gifts to do ministry with. The same people, he calls them brothers. And he says, I couldn't address you as spiritual people, the people of verse 15, because you're still babies. That's what he's saying. You are. That's why Paul got beat up everywhere he went. You guys are babies. That's what he's saying. You guys are, you should be mature. I should be able to give you a porterhouse. But you're still eating baby food. We got to crush up the carrots and, and, and make it soft for you. I wonder how many people at Austin Ridge have heard hundreds of sermons. Maybe thousands. And you still don't tithe. I wonder how many people have heard tons of sermons but you have never talked about Jesus to anybody. I wonder how many people have come to Austin Ridge for years and they still won't serve and help us in building kingdom. And you still view church as consuming, and I hope I like the music today, and I hope they do that song I like, and I hope the pastor's funny, and I hope he's short in his message. And that consumer mindset of church sets in. Paul says you're doing church like a natural man. Spiritual men are mature. He says, I came to you. I came to you, brother. I couldn't say that you're mature because you're not. And this is where we get this theological argument. I'm going to spend a few minutes here. Maybe you've heard it, it's called Lordship Salvation. Can Jesus be my Savior and not my Lord? So let me break this down for you. And I'm going, to, I'm going to talk about three different types of people here. He talks about the natural man. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to envision a circle. That, the circle represents your life, okay? And the natural man is in this circle, and all these circles have a throne in them. There's a throne. And in this circle is the natural man, the throne, and Jesus is outside the circle. And this natural man sits on the throne inside the circle. He doesn't know anything about God, doesn't care about God. It, 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 it's, it's irrelevant. He can't hear it. It's like going up to a deaf person. Can you imagine going up to a deaf person, taking your earbud, putting it in his ear, and saying, this is my favorite band, what do you think? And he doesn't comment, and you're offended. That's my favorite band. How dare you not love them? It's the, it's the natural man. He's sitting there on the throne, and Jesus Is outside the circle. Unless the Spirit of God does a work on that man's heart, he will never understand the spiritual truths of the gospel. That's the natural man. And then there's another person he talks about there in 15, the spiritual man. So you've got the circle. There's life. The spiritual man's in the circle. And Jesus is in the circle. And there's a throne. And Jesus sits on the throne. That's the mature spiritual person. That's the person that submits to God. Culture says this, they read their Bible and it says this, it says, I'm going to go to the scriptures. Everyone else is swimming that way, I'm going to swim that way because I believe the the guy who left the grave empty, that's the guy who's true. And they stand apart and there's a rub at times in their life. But there's this third category here in verse 1 of chapter 3. Look at it again, I brothers could not address you as spiritual people, I couldn't say you're verse 15 people, but as people of the flesh... Infants, babies in Christ. So that little, that little word there, flesh, people have attached the word carnal to it. Maybe you've heard this phrase, I'm a carnal Christian, or she's a carnal Christian, or can you be a carnal Christian? Can you have Jesus as your savior and not your Lord? So the first question that comes to this text is this, the people that Paul's writing to, are they Christians or non-Christians? I believe these people are Christians. He calls them brothers, they got spiritual gifts, they're sanctified, they're set apart. He is talking to them as Christians. I believe these people are Christians, they're not non-Christians. Another question comes up, maybe they're Christians that have lost their salvation. If you've been in Austin Ridge any time, this is one of my soapboxes. What part of your salvation did you earn? None of it. Your job is you got lost. God had mercy on you. You had a dead heart and a dead brain, and you could not understand things spiritually. Didn't mean you were not a good person at times. Didn't mean you weren't helpful. Didn't mean you weren't kind. But God had not disrupted your life yet. And one day, God, through his grace and mercy, opens your heart, and all of a sudden, all this stuff starts making sense. It starts clicking, we would say. And you heard someone like me talk about the gospel, and you're like, oh my gosh, I've never heard that. I grew up Methodist. I grew up Presbyterian. I grew up not going to church. And maybe you did hear it 50 times, but that time it clicked. And the Spirit of God allows you to understand spiritual truth, and, and you are given faith. That's a, that's a gift. You're saved by grace through faith. It's not of yourselves. It's the gift of God lets anybody boast. And God, through his grace and mercy, changed your heart. You went from being the natural man uh, to the spiritual man. And there's this this question here, what what if these are Christians who lost salvation? Some of you grew up in West Texas or in other theologies where you were taught you could lose your salvation. And Billy Bob Pastor told you, if you don't behave well, you're going to lose it. That is bad theology. It's not biblical. It's wrong. Because it, it sets you up as a Christian to be very arrogant and guilt-ridden at the same time there's nothing more dangerous than an arrogant judgmental person and so you will go in your office tomorrow with non-christians and you'll say well they just don't get it they're just not as smart as i am they're just evil yeah they are evil and such were some of you until god changed your heart your salvation is not you owning jesus jesus owns you you can't lose jesus because he can't lose you and so the thought of losing your salvation is not a biblical thought. You didn't do anything to get it. Your salvation has nothing to do with your behavior. It has everything to do with God's mercy. Pastor, you don't know the things I've done. I don't. But I know the guy who wrote this letter. We're kind of reading his mail. And he used to kill Christians and burn churches. And he wrote most of our New Testament. Raise your hand if you kill Christians and burn churches. If anybody had we're going to put you in that back corner, okay? You stay. will get you over there. It's not about what you've done and haven't done. It's about who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. That's what grace is. You get to take his perfection and put it on my sin. So then the question is, can Jesus lose me? Romans 8 says there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God. The Bible says that when you become a Christian, you're placed in the palm of God and nothing can take you out of his hand. The Bible says even when we're faithless, he remains faithful for he cannot deny himself. The Bible is clear That salvation is of the Lord. It's not a man-made work. That's why people say, are you a religious person? No, I'm not religious. That's man trying to earn God's favor. I am a truly spiritual person. I received the grace of God and now I understand spiritual things. Does this make sense? Because this goes against what some of you have heard and you've been ridden in guilt for years. Well, if I sin this way today, then God doesn't love me as much. God is incapable of love you any more, any less than he does right now. And it has nothing to do with you. That's why we respond in joy. That's grace. And so the question is, can a, a Christian lose salvation? Not biblically. The only way you can lose salvation is if God's a liar. If God's capable of lying, you can lose your salvation. So then the question becomes, were these people Christians? I believe they were Christians. He calls them brothers. He says you're gifted spiritually. He says you're sanctified. You're set apart. And, and people would say, well, maybe they were they were. They were non-Christians because they were sinning. Yeah, because Christians never sin, right? I, I, you know, it's like that thought of, well, you know, I, I used to sin before Christ, right? Back in the 90s. But I haven't sinned since the 90s, right? Raise your hand if you've never sinned, right? Because somebody's going to punch you in the gut right when you raise your hand, right there, right? No, we're sinners. Christians sin. So it's not that they're just non-Christians because they haven't sinned. 1 John says, if anybody says they're without sin, they are a what? Liar. That's a strong word. If a person says they're not a sinner, they're a liar. You just sin because you just lied. So another question that comes up with this is, and this is the heart of it, can Jesus be your Savior and not your Lord? Can Jesus down the cross forgive you of your sins And not be the boss who tells you what to do. And you get to be your own boss and do whatever you want. That's the question here. Jesus, biblically speaking, is always Savior and Lord, and they have to go together. You go to the book of Revelation, Jesus is always sitting on the throne. He is always elevated high. He is always exalted high. He is always Lord, and he is always Savior all the time. Man has created this third category of saying you know what when I was 8 years old I walked down an aisle I prayed to receive Jesus and I really don't go to church or have any desire for the things of the Lord now but I'm good because I made a decision or I went to camp when I was in 10th grade and, 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 and it was emotional that night and there was a campfire and campfires make you emotional and I made a decision and ever since then I've never really had a desire for the Lord but I'm good There's a lot of people who would say that. Are they a Christian? Making a decision does not make you a Christian. Signing a card does not make you a Christian. What makes you a Christian is obeying and yielding to the Spirit of God in your life. Coming under the authority of Scripture. People have asked me before, why don't you do an altar call after every sermon? I grew up in a church, we did altar calls every sermon. And a lot of people came down, a lot of people prayed to receive Christ. And what I saw over the years is a lot of people made a decision, and you'd never see them again. There was no connection to God whatsoever. In that moment, there was something emotional that happened. And if anything, the church can actually give them a deceptive understanding of, I'm all good. I got my fire insurance. I'm good. When Jesus comes back, I'll be in heaven. Have you noticed during exam week that all college students are great theologians? During exam week, everybody starts praying, right? Everybody loves God. Oh, God, please help me. And after exam week, forget about God. Go to a funeral. Everybody's a Christian at a funeral, right? You go to a funeral, there's somebody who died, never had any heart for God. Matter of fact, he was hard to deal with and he was bitter. Well, we know George here is in heaven. I don't want to scream, no! I don't know if he's there, but that's not the point. This man had no fruit of loving God whatsoever. Can someone tell you that you're a Christian that you spend time with on a regular basis? Can you be a Christian, say you're a Christian, and do whatever the heck you want to do, and you'll be fine. Can you imagine Jesus going, you know what, I saved you from your sins, but you do whatever, you You sit on the throne. And then maybe sometime they're like, hey, Brad, you've been on that throne a while, Could could I have a chance at it? Could I maybe sit there, could I be in charge for a while? Everybody I see in the Bible, when they came and encountered Christ, they became a radically different person doesn't mean they didn't struggle doesn't mean they didn't sin doesn't mean they didn't fail doesn't mean they have times of hardness of heart or obstinance what it meant was the spirit was alive in their lives they were convicted there was a desire there was a passion are you a spiritual person and i got a lot of people that i know that i love dearly and they'll tell me you know we come we come to church once or twice a year and if you would ask them are you a christian yeah i'm a christian Love God. You know, I play golf on Sundays. That's my God, just me and God. So we don't need to have corporate worship. We don't need to take communion. We don't need to experience baptism together. We don't need to be under the teaching of the word. We don't need to be in fellowship and community. See, all these things are biblical things. So we just kind of reconstruct God that fits the way we want to run our life. We are boss. Does this make sense? And so Paul comes to these folks. Matter of fact, he's coming to them. Tell me what tense verse 1 is in, grammatically. But I, brothers, could not address you. What tense is that? Past. Paul came five years earlier, converted these people to Christ. They started walking with God. He comes back five years later. He's talking about the past. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants of Christ. I came, you got converted, but you were babies. Every once in a while when I'm preaching, some baby will start amening in some spiritual tongue or dialect. And there's never a time where you hear from a baby during a sermon, you're like, that's a weird sounding man. It's a baby. It's what we expect. Babies operate out of the flesh. They're fleshly. If they want to yell, they don't care if I'm preaching. They just yell. Now, if there's a mom who lets a baby continue to yell as I preach, well, that's a, that's a whole other issue, right? But that baby is just a baby. Now, babies are cute, right? They're babies. The first time they say, Mama, Dad, Dad, what do you do? Get the video camera. Send it to Grandma and Grandpa. Look at this, so amazing. And you watch it, and you're amazed. But if that kid still, at the age of 25, comes back home. Mama, I need some food. Mama, I need some clothes. Mama, I need some help. It's not cute anymore. You to that 25-year-old, you, you need to get a J-O-B. You need, to, you need to pay some bills, right? It's not funny anymore. That's exactly what Paul's saying here. I love it. He goes, you are people of the flesh. You, you're acting like babies. You should be eating ribeye steak and i still got to crush your carrots up. Are you growing in your maturity with Christ? Are you more spiritual now than you were a year ago? Or are we just kind of doing the same retread year in, year out? Is it possible for a Christian to live a life without any change or transformation? I believe it is possible to come to Christ and not have anyone that's around you that can mentor you or disciple you or or you don't have a church that's teaching the Bible and your growth is going to be real stunted. I believe that. But I also believe if someone truly comes to Christ, somewhere in their life there's going to be some kind of transformation. There's going to be some kind of fruit somewhere. Not automatically, not instantly. Some of us man, you got saved and, and I, I got saved on Tuesday and you should have seen me on Monday, right? Like you were watching the cop show last night and you were on it. You're like, I need to do something about this. But then Tuesday you get saved and you're like, I'm, I'm totally, some of us are like that. Some of us though, it's just a long grind. But there's an upper trend. There's a growth. There's a maturing that happens. Now he's in past tense. Look at verse two. I fed you past tense with milk, not solid food, for you were past tense, not ready for it. And now tell me what tense he goes to. And even now, what tense is he in? Present. And even now, in the Greek it says dad gummet." even now, you're not yet ready. Paul's come back five years later. He's like, you guys should be leading life groups for us. You guys should be teaching children. You guys should be sharing your faith. You guys should be going on mission trips. You guys should be giving. You guys should be worshiping. You guys should be reading your Bible every day. And even now, you're still struggling with the same ABCs of the faith. You're acting like babies. And I just, my, my, my heart for you is that you would grow. That there would never be an even now moment in your life. Amen? Look at verse 3. For you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? That's going back to the natural man of verse 14. He goes to the church, he's like, you should be mature, you should be eating porterhouse. But you're still jealous and fighting, and she said this, and he did that, and there's quarrels, and there's immaturity, and you're acting like babies. That's why I love seeing that high affirmation in our vote last week. That's just a good sign of a healthy church. Like, I may not even agree, but you know what? If we're going to reach Christ and our our leaders are praying for this, let's go. Let's go reach Christ. We'll figure it out how to do it. I love that. I love that about Austin Ridge. But these folks were immature. Some of us, I mean, we struggle with immaturities. We struggle with jealousies and quarrels. Maybe you're here today and you're single and you wish you were married and you're jealous of married people. And there's some married people here that married somebody that drives them nuts and they're jealous of you because you're single. There's people here that, that are trying to have kids, and they can't have kids, and they're, maybe you find yourself jealous of people that have kids, and you even start to judge because you're thinking, well, I know her, and she's not a, she's not a very good person. God's, look, God's given her three beautiful, healthy boys, and, and here I am. I'm much more godly than her, and you start judging. You start quarreling, and there's people here who have three or four kids, and they're jealous of you because they don't like their kids. There's people here that are, that are old and look at young people and they're jealous because you guys have all the fun. And these young people here look at old people going, you guys have all the money. We're jealous of you. You can't have any fun anymore. Give me some of your money. I'll have fun for both of us. And jealousies and quarrels and, 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 and problems. And he says, aren't you acting like non-Christians? Should Christians do social events different than non-Christians? Should Christians be different with their alcohol intake than non-Christians? Should Christians give differently than non-Christians? You know, I got a tax man that's a non-Christian that does my taxes. I love it because he has to see my financial records. And he looks at us, and he looks at what we give, looks at us, what are you doing? And I, well, I'm a pastor. Oh, okay, you're one of those. You're nuts. Because nobody gives this away. And you know what? You find out the more you give away, the more God gives you because you can't outgive God and that's what he does. He loves a cheerful giver. Or do you go and at the club, on the trip, in the office, you laugh at the same jokes, you tell the same jokes, you use the same words. You're kind of a chameleon. You can be one way around your non-Christian friends, you can be another way around your Christian friends, and you're just a big mystery and you're really not helpful to anybody. Are you willing to stand and Create a little rub. That's too convicting. Let's move on. Verse 3. You're still of the flesh while, while there's jealousies and strife among you. Are you not of the flesh in behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos." Are you not merely being human? You're being like non-believers. They were picking celebrity pastors. I, I have people come to Austin Ridge and say, Man, I used to go to blank and blank church here in Austin, and I got saved there, but they don't teach meat like you do. And I, I came here, I want to get serious about my faith now. Praise the Lord for that guy that shared the gospel with you. Praise the Lord that that milk is what you needed. And yeah, one day you're going to leave Austin Ridge, and somebody's going to teach you meat, and praise the Lord for them. But it's, it's amazing what he says here. You're just being like pagans. Verse 5, what then is Apollos? Apollos is a a pastor that came in there and incredible teacher. What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. That word servant, we get the word, the understanding of a busboy in a restaurant. Paul, the one who wrote most of our New Testament, I mean, he's a stud. He goes, I'm just a busboy for Jesus. I, I wear overalls. Look what he says. I planted, Apollos watered, God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one. And each will receive his wages according to his labor. What that means there is, is that as a pastor, I'm a daily wage laborer for the Lord. That's it. And one day I'll be judged on how faithful I was to teach the Bible to you guys. And you're going to be judged on how faithful you were to receive the word taught, to apply it to your life, and to go live it in the world just like myself. Why in the world would you put your hope or faith in a guy who just is in overalls? I thought about wearing overalls today, but I just looked stupid in them, so I didn't wear them. But why would you put your faith in a guy who wears overalls? Jesus is the one who grew you. Jesus is the one who saved you. Jesus is the one who is maturing you. All glory goes to him. And they were fighting about this. For we are God's fellow workers, verse 9. You are God's field, God's building. We'll talk more about those things as we move forward with the book. I love how the Bible says this. Present yourself as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, but who correctly handles the word of truth. That you can go in culture and you hear this and you go, nope, that's not right. Nope, that's not what the Bible says. Nope, that's not what the Holy Spirit does. Yes, that's right. And you cor- correctly cut through the mess. You, you drop a, a plumb line and you're like, this is the word of God and everything else can twirl around it. But this is who I am. This is what I'm going to stand on. So far, this is what Paul's taught us in this book. You don't have to be superior in your intellect to become a Christian. You, you, you have to be a Christian who believes the simple historical fact of the crucified Christ. And putting your trust in Him. And because the Holy Spirit has acted upon your heart and quickened you, awakened you from death to life and has opened up the crypt of the hidden wisdom of the Word of God and allowed your heart to take spiritual words from a spiritual teacher and allow you to present it to yourself in a spiritual way so you can grow spiritually. Why does the church gather? The church gathers to worship Jesus to study Jesus, to talk about Jesus, celebrate Jesus, and then we leave this building to go be Jesus to people who have no clue who Jesus is. And we have great compassion and great patience because such were some of us. The currency of the Christian life is a submitted and obedient heart. How do you know if you're a spiritual person? Are you striving to obey the authority of Scripture? What are you learning in your personal Bible time? How are you growing in your giving? How does your heart break for non-Christians around you? And are you creating that little rub where you go? You're sweet and you're tender, but you're clear. This is who I am, this is what I believe, and this is why. Why? And I love you to death and I'm going to be here for when you whenever you want to talk because I'm the one, I, I want you to come to me. That's why we don't go to non-spiritual counselors to get help. They have nothing to offer us. That's why we don't get our help from any human being as far as what the gospel is because they all die. If you die, you haven't won yet. Jesus' tomb is empty. We get our understanding from him. Amen? So we're going to continue this. This is where this, this stuff gets tough in Corinthians. I want you to keep coming. I said this at the beginning. We're going to hit some things in the next few weeks that may ruffle some feathers. That's okay. Well, you, you need your feathers ruffled, don't you? I need mine ruffled. Like I said, Preaching the purpose of preaching is to comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. Right? So you keep coming, and we're going to keep teaching, and we're going to let God use First Corinthians to change us. Amen? Now, my goal for you is that you go be a truly spiritually mature person this week. Doesn't mean you're perfect. Doesn't mean you're not going to struggle. But it means you've got a hidden wisdom and power inside of you the world's not going to get. Amen? Father, we thank you for the power of the gospel. The power of the hidden mysteries of the spiritual words that spiritual people can discern by the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And we are grateful that you took people like us and did stuff in our life that only you can pull off. And Father, I'm thankful that you saw fit to use people like us to further your kingdom. And we are grateful for this book called 1 Corinthians. And I pray as we go into Austin this week, which is Corinth, that we would be very mature and spiritual people. Very patient, very loving, and very intimate with you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. We get...